You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating. I'm your host, Rachel Heinemann, licensed mental health counselor. Each week, we explore the deeper meaning of our relationship with food and our body. I interview experts in the field of eating disorders and psychoanalysis to bring you the answers about why you do the things you do and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. All right, let's get started. Welcome back or welcome episode 47 here with Rachel Fine. Before I share a little bit more about Rachel and our conversation, just a quick reminder that my newsletter goes out weekly on Thursday. So I'm not usually one who shares so much personal information about my life. I just don't think that it serves the purpose of what we're talking about. But for some reason, I've been sharing some more stuff on the newsletter. So if you're with me on Instagram and on the podcast, I love that. Thanks for being here. If you're with me in the newsletter, you get to hear so much more. But anyways, let's get back to Rachel and episode 47. Rachel is a former professional dancer turned registered dietitian nutritionist. So she's an RD and founded To The Point Nutrition. So get it? Point with an E. I love it. Anyways, To The Point Nutrition caters to dancers of all ages and all levels and provides certified nutrition education. Rachel is also a certified specialist in sports dietetics and a certified counselor of intuitive eating. She also founded The Healthy Dancer. So she'll share a little bit more about that community later all the way at the end. And she does a great job. So I'm not even going to bother. It's an awesome community with really, really cool free free resources. Rachel also has, I mean, such a long history and experience working with this population. She's taught at different universities and presented and done research. I mean, she has done it all. So I'm excited for this conversation just to talk to Rachel, but also to talk about dancers and how dancers specifically, especially because dancers are athletes, dancers specifically can work toward a healthy relationship with food, even in this world that might be, you know, thin obsessed or obsessed with what kinds of foods to eat or making sure that you need to eat specific types of foods in order to fuel your body, that that is not an oxymoron for developing a healthy relationship with food. So if you're a dancer, obviously dive in. This is incredible. But even if you're not a dancer, this episode provides so much information for how you can build a healthy relationship with food, even if there are messages telling you otherwise, even if your schedule is really busy, even if you're on the go all the time, even if, even if, even if. So stay with me and let's just jump right in. I'm so excited for this, Rachel. We're doing it. So <laughs> we kind of did one re- one run however many months ago. That didn't work out. Lovely internet. We love you. Wi-Fi. So I'm excited to do this and have our conversations mostly about dancers. Because I know that that's your thing. And especially when it comes to healing a relationship with food, it's so complicated because there are different nuances that apply to dancers that don't apply to non-dancers. So maybe just to start, walk me through a day in the life of a dancer? Okay. Such a great question. So 
a day in the life of a dancer is actually going to be very dependent on the kind of dancer we're talking about. So dancers can come at all ages and at all levels of the spectrum from student dancer, recreational dancer, recreational adult dancer, recreational youth dancer, and then of course, professional dancer, pre-professional dancer. And the reason why it's important to decipher between these is because these schedules are vastly different when we're comparing someone who's dancing recreationally. So these schedules can be vastly different when we are talking about dancers at different stages of their life and at different levels of their dancing. So a student dancer who is still going to regular high school is going to have a very different schedule than a dancer who's still a student but is doing online high school. The point is the day in life is going to be very different. So usually dancers are going to have pretty active schedules. So no matter what level they are in their dancing, they're usually multitasking. They're usually commuting from point A to point B to point C. So this could be commuting to their academic coursework or their regular job. And then of course, commuting to a physical studio because while we saw a lot of virtual dancing during COVID, most studios have gone back to being in person. So usually these dancers, no matter what level they're at, they're commuting from their regular school or work life to a studio. So they're on the go. They're super busy because dance is usually one part of their day, one part of their schedule. So whether they're a student or holding some other type of job alongside that. And then not only are they navigating through this very busy day that is kind of pulling them in all different directions mentally and physically because dance is still comparable in regard to expenditure, physical expenditure. It's comparable to sports, right? So totally. these dancers these dancers are not just experiencing the mental load of having to navigate through these schedules, but they're also experiencing the actual physical load of needing to put their bodies through what most often is pretty intense strength and endurance training, especially for dancers. Sorry, I shouldn't say especially for dancers, probably most forms of dance. I'm just most familiar with classical dance and ballet. So it might look feathery and dainty, but the work that actually is put into it is very hardcore. <laughs> so that's pretty much day in life. It's navigating busy schedule. It's navigating huge mental load. It's navigating a huge physical load on their bodies. And essentially, you know, how can dancers work through all of this while still maintaining a positive and maybe not even just positive, but just a, a balanced life, a balanced work dance life so that they are really maintaining sustainable habits, whether those habits are around food or those habits are perhaps just around exercise in general. Okay. So maybe we can break down the two, especially because the exercise piece can get very tricky. The movement is built into being a dancer. So first on the food side, first of all, how can it get tricky for dancers? And then sort of on the flip side, why is it so important to continue to eat, aka not restrict, etc.? Yeah, such a great question. So there's several reasons why food in the general sense can get tricky for dancers. And the first thing is that 
we all know the prevalence of diet culture in the normal non-dance world, right? Diet culture is all over and pressures to look a certain way are also very high within the culture at large. But now we're taking an aesthetic type of sport, one that highly relies on visualization as the art and one that unfortunately is rooted in a lot of elitist and privileged ideals, okay, we're taking that now and and we're exacerbating those messages from diet culture, the ones that are telling us that bodies need to look a certain way, okay? So that's one reason why food gets tricky because most often, and we all know this from diet culture, is that when one is attempting to manipulate their bodies to look any which way, their first defense is going towards food and what they can do with food in order to manipulate their body. So that's the first reason why food becomes so tricky. The second reason why food becomes so tricky for dancers is because as a sport, dance or dancers do require a certain level of performance nutrition, which is more specialized nutrition education to support the higher physical demands of the work that they're putting their body through. So if we break down performance nutrition, we're referring to for example, meal plan for a day that, again, it's not just about sitting at a desk. It's actually about being in a studio and having your body be very physically active. How can we meal plan for that day while still taking into account you being on the go, you needing to literally physically move your body and dance, right? It might not feel good physically to have a large meal right before you're headed into a dance class. Like there's oh my all God, of- no. Exactly. There's all of these obstacles that begin to come into play when we talk about performance nutrition and then recovery and injury prevention are two huge umbrellas that are also involved in performance nutrition. How can we prioritize carbohydrates, protein, and fats as the three macronutrients that are going to help support a dancer's specific recovery? How can we take advantage of a recovery window or the 60 minutes after intense dancing where your body is in this prime state to absorb nutrition? So all of these factors take into account with performance nutrition. The reason why this then gets tricky is because most dancers, not all, we don't really know what came first, the chicken or the egg, but a lot of dancers from my experience, which is close to 10 years of experience as a dietitian, a lot of dancers are perfectionists. I don't know if perfectionists are just drawn to dance, especially ballet, because it's just very structured. You know, you can take one thing I love about ballet, and I am a fellow recovering perfectionist. But one thing I do love about ballet is that you can take a ballet class anywhere in the world. You don't even have to know that language, and you can actually have a successful class, like move through the class because the structure of pretty much every ballet class stays the same no matter where you go. And that's one thing I love about it. It's very it's cool. Own, yeah. It's, it's like it's ballet its own, is its own language. I was just going to say that. Ballet oh, yeah. Is its, <laughs> yeah. Ballet is its own language. And actually my husband and I were just in Germany and Austria for two weeks on a trip that was very cultural and a lot of arts and a lot of being in a dance world. And it was just so amazing to experience how everyone I met, I was 
we were talking the same language and I've never, we're, I don't speak German. I don't speak Dutch, but we were able to relate and connect. And it was just awesome. And that's just one of the reasons why I love ballet, but that's just a side note. (laughs) My point is, is that a lot of perfectionists find themselves into the studio. And because of this, we take these principles of performance nutrition and sports nutrition, and we take it to the 200th degree. This is exactly what happened to me. This is the whole reason why I became a dietitian and why I now do what I do is because of the vulnerability to dancers to disordered eating, taking especially the principles of sports nutrition, which sounds cool and innocent and great, but when they're taken to the extreme, they become extremely damaging, tunneled, and restrictive. So that's why it becomes tricky in a nutshell. And it also sounds like it's not just about matching your movement to sort of like increase your caloric intake. It's more so navigating this sort of parallel dance of when am I going to be moving and making sure that you make, not making sure that you don't eat before, but sort of like trying to find foods that fit before so that you could have a workout or I should say dance. What do you call those like sessions, dance sessions? What is- a dance class. So either, or, you know, in today's world of dance, dancers are most often also required to partake in cross training. Oh my God. Wow the demands of a dancer have definitely skyrocketed just over the years. So it's rare to ever be a dancer and not have additional cross training in worked into your training routine on top of going to actual dance classes. So you are navigating these very active days where it's not anything that has to do with body image. It's more that has to do with your physical sensation, you don't want to necessarily feel physically uncomfortable or like you're getting one of those uh, those side cramps because you ate too close to your class. Now, don't get me wrong. Oftentimes, eating within the five minutes between a class and rehearsal is required. But what foods can we actually eat and what foods that aren't going to cause us to feel physical discomfort? So it's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of individualized support with specific dancers. Yeah. So it's the making sure that your body's getting enough, making sure your body's getting enough of the foods that make it feel good in between all the different movement and, you know, sort of, I forget the word that you were going to say that you said before, but sort of like the, oh, the recovery after, and that's important. What's the injury prevention piece? How does that sort of play into the nutrition? So there's, again, several aspects here. On the, I hate to say superficial, but I would say like in the immediate realm of injury prevention, we are talking about essentially just giving our body enough energy so that we are alert in class, that we are not risking. Again, you're doing intense movements. You are jumping and landing on your feet hundreds of times in one class. If you are not alert and conscientious while you're doing this work, you're going to roll on your ankle and you're going to physically hurt yourself. So we need to make sure that our bodies have, this is just the immediate response of injury prevention, right? We need to make sure that we are energized because if we're not eating enough carbohydrate, then we're going to feel foggy. Okay. Now more long-term, but not that long-term, even like within six months, we are thinking about bone health. 
as soon as dancers experiment, I should say, with low calorie or even low fat restrictive diets, they are not providing their body with the tools needed to support hormonal balance. Hormones play a huge role in our body's ability to build and maintain strong working bone tissue. So we think of bones, we think of just this like static part of our body, but it's actually not. Bone tissue is constantly being remodeled and rebuilt and it's active, it's working. And we need to make sure our body constantly has the tools to support that. Impaired bone health can be seen as soon as three to six. I know that's a big stretch, but the research is just that's what the research shows. It's a, it's a pretty big stretch. As soon as three to six months of restrictive dieting, we can see wow. impairments in bone health. So that's injury prevention, a bit more long-term, not in your here and now class, but still super important for a dancer because if you're risking low bone density, you're going to land from that jump you're going to risk what's called a stress fracture. Stress fracture is these like little tiny fractures in your metatarsals that make jumping really freaking painful to the point where most dancers have to sit out. Like they can't dance with them. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you don't want a stress fracture. And stress fractures are like the number one injury that's going to happen from impaired bone health. That makes sense. So there's a nutritional aspect, but it sounds like the main piece here is you just have to make sure to eat enough. Like the restrictive aspect is that is going to be what gets you. Sometimes I think about this and especially for a dancer or an athlete, I wonder how confusing this gets, you know, navigating all these conflicting messages. So A, there's one side of this that we want, these are endurance athletes to get stronger and better endurance. And that's the whole point of draining. And then the other piece is, if somebody is struggling with disordered eating or just grappling with diet culture, then there's this idea of working toward food freedom and intuitive eating or something. Do those ideas go together? Are they an oxymoron? What's your take on that? It's a really great, great question. So in my years as a dietitian for dancers, and I don't mean to like keep saying this, but it's been 10 years. I started to the point nutrition nearly 10 years ago with the intent and purpose to really focus on dancer health and nutrition. And my practices have had to shift over time with what I experienced in working with a lot of dancers. So kind of going into it, and the reason why I'm explaining this is because I think it's the misconception that a lot of providers have, is that when you're going into working with this population, you're thinking sports nutrition, supporting performance, giving them the tools they need to eat, quote unquote, properly. But then what happens is we have to remember that because of the environment that dancers are in, which is an aesthetic sport that, again, relies heavily on visualization, because of that, the environment that most dancers are in are flooded with disordered eating and disordered eating myths around food. So a lot of the information that dancers will get around food is misinformation, right? So what I've come to learn in the past, I would say seven years of practice is that we need to first make sure that a dancer's relationship with food. So the latter of your question, the relationship with food is, I'm not going to say perfect because 
in my opinion, most, I don't think anyone can have a perfect relationship with food. And we're always trying to move away from this idea of perfection, even when it comes to our relationship with food, right? Yeah. We kind of don't even want that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because that's turning a non-diet approach into a diet. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? For sure. Exactly. Striving for perfection of intuitive eating, for example. It's so classic though. (laughs) It's so classic, especially for my fellow perfectionist dietitians and dancers. But here's the thing, because of the environment, because of the vulnerability, and because the research even shows that dancers are three times more likely to develop an eating disorder, we need to first make sure that a dancer's relationship with food is not coming from a point that is restrictive to where it's limiting them in other aspects of their life, like socially, or of course, even in the studio. So I guess to answer your question directly, first, we need to establish a dancer's relationship with food. Not all dancers have a damaged relationship with food. I've worked with many dancers who can then dive into the nutrition component way sooner than another dancer. We just don't want to make sure that that nutrition component is triggering to any perfectionistic tendencies around food. So it's always first important, especially for providers to understand that we first want to establish a relationship with food, one that is, I call it a working relationship with food, one that intentionally is coming from a place of sustainability. It's a huge word that I often talk about as well. Because again, it's not perfect. It's sustainable. Your habits around food are habits that can be continued lifelong. And then of course, supporting your body lifelong. And then from there, moving on to the nutrition aspect. But, and I believe you had someone asked this in the question, also making sure, because like you said, what it boils down to is making sure that dancers are eating enough. And most often they're not, their baseline is way lower than where they need to be. Is that the kind of thing that somebody can tell on their own? Or is it the kind of thing that maybe working with a dietitian can help somebody figure out if they're having enough food or not? It's both. So the first line of defense that I tell dancers about are they obsessively thinking about food? Because you often hear about being like a quote unquote foodie or just like super into nutrition, super into health. Majority of the time, and I know this from personal experience, I know this again from working experience, there is some degree of restriction that's going on. It doesn't have to be calorie restriction. It could be following a quote unquote clean eating diet that is causing someone to essentially want what they think they can't have. The grass is always greener on the other side. You're essentially the obsession of food, in my opinion, is like number one for a dancer to identify whether or not like, hey, I know I love food and I'm like obsessed with it, but am I obsessed to a point where I might be restricting myself from it? And then from there, I highly encourage dancers to reach out to dietitians because that's how we can, especially for dancers, formulate or assess, I should say, are they meeting their needs? Because the dancers' needs are way higher than those of the general population. And unfortunately, you have people going on Google looking for meal plans, and meal plans are usually like 1,200 calories or 1,500 calories or 1,800 calories. These are inappropriate for dancers, especially. 
So like I said, most dancers, their baseline is way too low. They think they're overeating when they come see me. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm sorry, after we meet, they feel like they're overdoing it. And I'm like, you're not overdoing it. You just, you're coming from a baseline that is way too low. Yeah. It sort of applies across the board that people sort of feel like they're eating too much or more than they want to or need to. And every body is an individual. So just because the person next to you is satisfied with whatever they're eating, you might actually need to eat double. And that's your body's needs. doesn't mean that you're eating too much. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious about the body image piece. I know that we touched on this before, but I guess specifically for a field that is so focused on aesthetics and the visual, I'm curious about the, I guess, reality of things. Because I've heard this from people who are either dancers or actors or just people who are assessed based on their body, especially initially first impressions. And, you know, the first and longest argument that I hear over and over and over again is I can't really work toward this food freedom thing. I can't really allow my body to do what it's meant to do because I won't book gigs or I won't be as fast or all of these things. So I guess my main question to you is like, how much truth is there to that? And then if there is, which, you know, we live in an aesthetic world, so maybe there is, but if there is, then what do we do? (laughs) Such a great question. So first things first for dancers, it's 2022. There are plenty of environments out there that are now thankfully opening their arms to diversity. In the realm of this conversation, we're talking about diverse body types. So my first response is that a dancer needs to strive and aim for environments that are going to support them for who they are and who their body, their here and now body, not a body that can't be maintained because we know that dieting doesn't work long-term. We know that 98% of diets fail within, I want to say the it's either like within the first year is what the research says. Diets don't work long-term our body is going to want to find a weight where it feels most comfortable at. We call this our set point weight. So we want to make sure that we are striving for environments that support that. We also want to realize that, again, dance, yes, it's aesthetic, but it's also really physical. And if we're not going to allow our body to sustain a place where it is in metabolic equilibrium, okay, And it's basically has the tools or the calories and nutrition it needs to support anabolic growth and maintenance. So the growth and maintenance of hormones and enzymes and muscle, protein, everything, et cetera, energy, glycogen. If we don't give our body the tools to do that, it's going to break down. It's going to get weak and it's not going to be able to dance at a level where you want to dance at. That's the fact. So we need to strive for environments that do support body diversity. And they're out there, but it's definitely harder to find. I'm not going to lie about that. But there are some great resources out there, especially now on Instagram too. But of course, we can, I mean, it's a whole other conversation. Social media could also be a place that's very dangerous for body image, but there also could be a, it could be a helpful place too if we're following the right accounts. 
And then, of course, just remembering the science that at the end of the day, even though dance is, is, you know, we think of it as being this aesthetic visual art that should have no reflection on body weights, right? A dancer can have beautiful lines and dance beautifully and pull out beautiful technique no matter their body weight, no matter their body size. That's super important to remember, right? Technique, dance technique is not a product of body weight. It's a product of hard work in the studio and movement and how your body moves. And I hope that's reassuring for somebody to hear, especially somebody in the ballet world, because I mean, there's just like the stereotypical look of a dancer. And if somebody doesn't fit that ideal or the mold, it doesn't mean that you're not an awesome dancer or that you're not perfect the way that you are already. Well, let's take out the word perfect. Good enough. Totally. (laughs) And of course, I do want to acknowledge that I personally have a lot of privileges that are unfortunately given to me because of the society we live in. I am privileged. I have the privilege of thin privilege, of white privilege. And because of this, it's it is easier for me to say these statements, to say that technique is not a product of body weight. For many dancers, they might truly feel that it is a product of body weight. And I want them to know that we can move through this and we can pursue a dance career regardless, as long as we are fueling our body in a way that's sustainable. So I guess my point is, is that those feelings are very valid and someone like myself shouldn't be, I would never invalidate those feelings. It's not my place to. And regardless, what I can do as a dietitian is help to teach dancers that food doesn't have to be the enemy. It doesn't have to be something that we're using as this restrictive tool to manipulate our bodies. It could be something as this helpful tool to enhance our performance. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time. I appreciate it. And before I let you go, can you share with our listeners where they can find you? Sure. Well, thank you again for having me and for being patient because I know I had a couple (laughs) of weeks there of unreliable Wi-Fi. I can be found in two places. (laughs) So my site pointnutrition.com. That's point with an E. This is my site that really dives into the services that I offer as a dietitian for dancers. I have a bunch of online courses. These courses are catered to dancers of all ages and levels. So if you're a recreational adult dancer, if you're just a fit, a bar fitness lover, I even have a course for you and I have a bunch of eBooks and stuff too. So that's fun. That's on pointnutrition.com. On my other site is dancenutrition.com. And this is a completely free resource site for all dancers, again, to learn about topics of body image and nutrition, how to fuel their body sustainably. I dive into a new topic every week. Dancenutrition.com is my one of my babies. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah. And I have a lot of free stuff on there, free downloads. I think I'm up to over 20, over 20 free oh things God. that, that people can download free course on there as well. So highly recommend that you go check it out because that's always the starting point right there. I usually say, start there, sign up for my emails. And then if you feel like you need to level up with your nutrition and your training, then we can chat about the other services. Yeah. So I'll link to all of those in the show notes. So they'll be easy to find. 
Perfect. You made it to the end. Thank you for listening. Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.